Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. I'm Robert Ramsey and I'm a beef specialist with SEC Consulting. Today's podcast looks at communication in the beef supply chain. At the beginning of the year, we had intended on hosting several roadshows across the country, which would allow suckler producers, finishers, processors and markets all to get together and discuss the issue of lack of communication in the supply chain. Due to COVID restrictions, we were unable to host the panel session with a live audience, and instead we recorded it in a socially distanced manner in an agricultural shed. It was a bit windy, and we seemed to have picked up a bird as an unintended sixth panellist, but in spite of sound quality, I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Beef Supply Chain panel session. Lack of communication throughout the beef supply chain is often flagged up as a major issue that holds the industry back. And with margins under real pressure in recent years, it's very important that we we get more joined up and all work together to develop a more efficient and sustainable industry. Today's panel was supposed to be a a three-centre roadshow with one in the north, one in central Scotland and one in the south, where you would be able to come along and have your say as well. However, with COVID-19 and lockdown, that's sadly not been possible. And instead, we're having a socially distanced panel today. As chair, I'll do my best to get the most out of our panel today, and I'll also make sure that they don't get too easy around as well. Before I introduce the panel, I should introduce myself. I'm Robert Ramsey. I work as a beef consultant with SEC Consulting. Our panel today is made up of uh, four people representing the key parts of the beef supply chain. The breeder, the market, the finisher, and the processor. Firstly, on my far right, I'd like to introduce Jimmy Ireland. He's a beef and sheep farmer from Fear Farm at Darvel, where he runs 100 cows and sells everything in stores. Away from the farm, Jimmy, also, Jimmy is also the current chair of NFUS Livestock Committee. So I'm sure you'll agree, Jimmy is well placed to represent the, the breeder on today's panel. Next to Jimmy is Mungo Guthrie, who works as a livestock procurement officer for Orion Symington, working out of Lanark. Mungo's also a beef and sheep farmer, but today is on the panel to represent the livestock market. And in true BBC style, Mungo is keen to point out that although he works for Murray and Simonton, other markets are available. On my near left is Andrew Steele from Craig Natural at Forfer. Andrew is predominantly a beef and arable farmer, and the team at Craig Natural run a large finishing enterprise. So today, Andrew represents the finisher on our panel. And last but by no means least is a representative from the processing sector, that's George Brown. George works in a, as a beef procurement manager for Highland Meats. I'm sure you'll agree we'll all benefit from George's knowledge and experience throughout today's panel. So today we've got a range of questions from farmers all over the country. But to open, I would like to ask the first, ask the first question myself. And this question is for the whole panel. What do Scottish beef farmers need to do to remain competitive going forward? And can we really produce Scotch beef any cheaper than we already do? I think we've just got to carry on uh, with the type of uh, cattle that we're producing at the moment. Can we produce it any cheaper? No, I don't think we can. And it's it's due to the climate uh, and the structure that we have within the the industry that way. Um, My big fear is that we we, we try to produce it too quick and too cheap. for the market, which is wrong, because everybody says that we produce the, the best produce in the world. I don't quite agree with that. I think if you go abroad, we can also get a great steak wherever we are in Spain or Argentina, 
but I do think we have the safest produce in the world. And, and I think everybody will agree with that around about the planet. Thanks, Thank you. Andrew, have you any thoughts? Uh, can the farmer uh, produce it cheaper? Well, personally, no, I don't think it can produce it any cheaper than we can. If you're wanting to get a finished product to the standard that uh, we're wanting to get it, the general public want to get it, that uh, the processor wants to get it to, you've got to feed it to a certain standard. Uh, and we are doing that just now, so we're, I don't think we can make it any cheaper or produce it any cheaper. Jimmy, are you in agreement with me? Um, to produce it cheaper, no, we can't. Our cost structure is way too high, we all know that, but maybe we need to look at breeds, maybe we need to look at, I mean, there's been a huge swing away from back having cows, and the process will tell you that distorts the market right away. There's a myriad of breeds out there, which is another bloomer as far as I can see. We need to try and condense it a wee bit to try and make it work and scale. Maybe, maybe regularly going to farms with nearly a thousand dairy cow units to produce sales and stuff like that. So I mean, maybe the, the whole thing maybe moves like that because when I was a, a lot younger, I mean, if you had a hundred cows, you were a hundred dairy you were a big farmer. Now, the whole thing is shifting. I mean, we, and there's never any going back. We need to look forward and try and because it's all the next generation that are not three boys that all want to do it. And you know, we, we do need to look at this whole breed, whole everything in the whole thing that needs a, a real shake up. Excellent. Um, George, this probably does seem like a difficult question to ask. Do you think Scottish farmers can produce? Thank you. I don't think so, because obviously over the years I was more efficient. We've got bigger, we've all moved to bigger, bigger scale, and uh, I don't think producing any more cheaply because costs keep going up or down, and uh, sort of market turns for beef have been very variable the last two or three years, and we've been down obviously more so last year. This year's been a bit of recovery recently with uh, COVID, and the people shop has changed, so people are now appreciating maybe some better beef. So. So the market, you know, people are supporting the industry, so I think that uh, you know, efficiency is there. Cattle could be produced more, pushed on, the younger probably more efficiently, getting away quickly, and uh, efficiently. Too many cattle nowadays have been kind of not pushed on, and just, they're just 30 months old, 36 months old, and you know, they're, they're on the planet a long time, which is affecting the emissions. So it's just, I think that the efficiency comes from Keep them young and keep them going. Um, could I ask for a, a question from the floor, please? My name is William Barry. I farm here just outside Greenlaw in the Scottish Borders. A question to um, everyone in the panel is how can we secure a better price, a fairer price, for this product we're producing? Um, perhaps something like intervention in the recent uh, crisis there when the price was pulled down and it flagged up a little bit, perhaps intervention if, if it went below 370, then imports are stopped, are very much limited, and if the price went up 380 or 390, perhaps uh, we could be buying some in, if that's what the public wants or the governments want to do. I would say that we have to work together as a complete industry, as one. So I have 
Jimmy has to talk to me, and I have to talk to the market, and the market has to talk to the processor here. They all got to work together here. I mean, the white bike, the price variation is so dramatic so often. As a finisher, when I go to buy store cattle, I mean, the finished price could be three ninety a kilo. But when that beast is ready to sell, if I keep it for four months and feed it heavily to get it to sell, the price could have dropped 40, 50 pence a kilo, which at a 400 kilo beast, we're talking about 160 pounds. That's the difference of making money and not making money. So we want some stability in the market. And stability has got to start really with the end user, the processor, who's got to give us a picture of where he sees us being in a month, in two or three months' time, and get a stability of a fixed price for a certain period of time that we can work to. So communication is key, yes. and a predictable price would be more important than a high price. I see the industry like, like a wheel. There's three parts to this wheel. There's the primary producer, there's uh, the, well, so the store man, you've got the factory man, and you've got the, the abattoir trade. So all three parts that wheel has got to get in fair balance where the wheel wobbles falls off. So I think it's you know, just what Dan saying that everyone needs a turn in the wheel and it should be fairly distributed through the whole industry. I think it's about continuity within the industry and as Andrew says, it's about uh, knowing exactly what the target is at the, the finished product, where we're going with. Um, and you know, the magical number is £4 a kilo at the moment. Um, we've nearly got there, but we've come back down again, uh, which does not give the store buyer in the market uh, confidence uh, to where he is. The only confidence he has got is once that they were in the the big wheel that George is mentioning, um, we have got to keep going as both producers, suppliers of cattle, um, and the finishers right through to the to the during the finish of the consumer. So probably all the way through. I think probably the dairy industry has probably got part of that continuity at the moment, where the beef industry does not actually hold that. Um, so I, I would like to see more continuity within the beef industry for that purpose. There is a lot of hidden costs from that animal shifting from the, the breeder all the way through to the finisher, um, right through to the end product, that, that hidden cost that we don't really see. Jimmy? Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're at a real disadvantage because everything else we do, every other business, they know the end price. We, we have a, a more scaling situation whereby we're, we're second guessing the market. I mean, if the price is up, yeah, we get it. But if the price is down, we get it equally. You know, it's a, there's surely a better way. Maybe we need to be talking about contracts. And we, we have looked at these in the past, and it, it's fraught with pitfalls. But, you know, I think maybe going forward, if we want to try and make a future in this industry, because, I mean, the cow number, the suckling cow number is continually going back a wee bit, so we need, we need, we need to, if we think this Scotch product is such a wonderful thing, and I do believe it is, but to compete with everybody else, but we really need to try and get to 
some sort of pricing structure whereby everybody's getting a fair crack. So I think that was a really good introduction there to what we're trying to achieve today. To sum that one up, really, communication is the key from, from start to finish along the chain. If, if we all get talking a bit more and understand more of what's happening or the issues affecting people, we'll all be in a slightly better place. So, really good, thank you. Just one thing George mentioned there was about intervention, and I wonder if what the panel thought about government intervention and was it a, back in the good old days, was it the good old days or is it a, <coughs> You know, free market, is that where we want to be? You need to start that old fellow. I was just going to say I'm too young. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Congo, you can go first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, market intervention. Right, well, let's look at what the, the Irish system was there. And it's a different type of intervention. I mean, there are these cattle. There were so many more cattle killed in Ireland there because the government intervention. And it was the about £30 for every animal that was killed. And then after um, the middle of March onwards, they added another £40 to that animal. That's intervening on the amount of cattle that gets killed. But I think the intervention you're talking about is uh, the government taking up the quantity of... Or anything, I think. Anything that the government would use to distort the market or, or improve. Okay. Apparently improve the price of the bank. Right. Well, let's go back to what Jimmy was uh, talking about. And it's about sustainability and... Um, you know, can we uh, stand alone without any um, government input to us, uh, subsidy-wise? I honestly don't think we can. They can distort the market more than anything, but it's the only way that they can control the market uh, from farmers. So if they intervene by putting any more heavy steam, etc., onto that animal, you'll see far more animals produced, because the farmers are great producing. Or if it takes that intervention away, if the government take that intervention away and any sort of system, then we see fewer cattle on the farms. But the fewer cattle on the farms usually do better. And so the government can just stop it very, very easily uh, by dangling that carrot in front of the farm. Does anybody else want to comment on that one? So interventions it's not been for such a lot of people who have There's a whole team for support for them earlier this year. You say money, but maybe more with the You say mammals are going to raise a bit more support. You know, we, we need to try and get a lot involved in the market, as most other, other industries do. Yeah. Um, could I ask for a, a question from the floor, please? It's Molly Purden here, the beef finisher from Lanarkshire. I'd just like to ask the question, who is it that sets the price of beef week in, week out? I wonder if you can tell me. George, who is responsible for setting the beef price? Again, the date supply and demand. You know, that's what dictates what's selling. Um, as I go through life, I see more of what's a good summer really helps the land keep trade. This springtime has been the best. People at home, some demand for beef just keep off. So it was driven by demand this time. So it was you know, really phenomenal the demand for beef in May. Overall, supermarkets are now selling more steaks than ever before. They're used to sell them because they're all going into the restaurant trade or better hosting trade. So now you can go into the supermarket and buy a cup of steaks for £7, £2.27 uh, gram steaks for £7. That's about £14, £15 per kilo. <coughs> Most people you know, who buy more steaks, I'd say, so uh, 
but uh, as to the price, it's, it's obviously kind of supply and demand, and uh, at the moment, last year especially, we seem to have a huge amount of cattle around, very little demand, and I think probably over the last few months we've seen with COVID, with people are more tight to cook, especially now, you know, the ready-made meal industries probably slowed, slowed down a little bit, people are more tight to cook, baking and all that, so, so it's basically, we've seen that recently it's demand, supply and demand is two factors, secondary. Has carcass balance become more of an issue as that demand has changed or is it easier to ship the whole carcass? Initially, in March, the end of March, when the rest of the trades all closed, there was just all this reversal given away the states because we couldn't sell them anymore, nobody wanted the place to close. So. And it took maybe a few few weeks, a few months, a month probably to get into the, uh, to get the states and the markets. And we're very, very lucky to have an April and May like we did in the weather. And the demand just took off barbecues. People could barbecue a night, week, other weekends, and families were, you know, so that's where demand came. Huge, huge uplift demand this year. It's never seen before. And the weather does influence. Last year was a particularly bad summer, if I remember right. And barbecues, barbecues were pretty poor. And that was, uh, obviously, had a bad cattle trade last year as well. And our holidays in May were off the last year. And people don't go out and need these sort of opportunities to ship burgers or whatever. And that is a lot to do with the weather, I would say. It's a bit, we see it from our sides of where the supermarkets had a place of orders. Rongo, what role does the, the ringing have in setting the beef price now? Um, well, I, I think it's got a great role, but if I can go back to what George was talking about there, um, it is supply and demand, and what the consumer um, is looking for, if we go back to March when um, COVID-19 came in, um, people were buying the, the cheap cuts of meat, so they were mincing and staking and whatever, uh, to, to survive, basically. But these people then had the extra money in their pocket as time went on, most people had, and it was great the change and the, the eating pattern, one because of the weather, but two because of that extra cash. And they were actually going to their own local butcher to buy the better cuts of meat. So we saw an uplift in the, the better cuts of steaks and sirloins and fillets at that point. Um, but where the market stands within all of that is it keeps the balance of the price, uh, whether it's uh, going through to dead weight. It sets the price so that there's a middle price in the marketplace uh, and we're at the top price and the working price and dead weight works in between that. So it's a very important role for the market to play there to be able to control the dead weight price top and bottom uh, without any, uh, using the, the process on the, the breeder at that point. Hey, Andrew or Tommy, have you anything you'd like to add? Andrew? Yes, yes, I'm just like to follow on Andrew. Andrew. I mean the question was who sets the price? Because the farmers are poor sellers, as far as I'm concerned. We are poor sellers. It doesn't matter what commodity that we've got or who that sells it. We just lift the phone and say we've got X amount of cattle, I've got so many tonne barley, I've got this. And they'll tell me the price. I don't tell them. And uh, Jimmy actually hurt in the, the, the I'm part of an answer to that earlier on where we're needing to actually, whether it be a, a, a group that gets together and actually as a marketing force. I mean, the markets are there. 
And if we are wanting a market price for whatever we are going to sell, we need to support the market and not just give it away at the end of the day. Jimmy? Yeah, like Andy says, we have no control over how we do it. We have a chance if we put it through the ring, that's for sure. But you know, we're, we're when I, in my livestock role as MFU Scotland, you know, you, you talk, we talk to all the processors, all the supermarkets, they go just how much they give us to keep us here. We don't really want to be working in this supported market. We should surely manage to get a fair price for what we're producing. But as Andy said, we are poor sellers. I, I think um, what Jimmy's saying about the support package being in there, and I mentioned about the magical four pounder kilo earlier, uh, George, um, there's a balance there where the butcher on the street can make money and where it's, uh, it's costing him too much to actually buy the meat in for uh, his across the counter uh, prices um, and, and they always say when they get to that four pound a kilo that the butcher's not making money out of it. So it is protecting everybody within that supply chain and, and you know we have seen an uplift as I said earlier through the ring of the, the live uh, cattle going to butchers within from March, April, May this year um, and we cannot get enough clean cattle to actually uh, supply the butchers that are there. We've got far more butchers that have come on board over COVID at the moment. And George, I, I, I don't know, do you see an uplift at that point through the dead weight system? The trial is kind of very quiet, the trade very quiet. Nobody said a month plus five or feet was the way to travel. We had winners and losers when this all happened. Two markets for winners, boots for winners, Western trade, all that, burger chains, they all kind of closed. And took a wee bit of time for that to find speak, find directions of travel where the meat was going. And uh, it's nice to see people valuing food and in turn valuing farmers as well. And also, too, you know, as I said, people on holidays, so steaks, steaks, two or three pounds, five, three pounds, fifty pounds for steaks. So, you know, do it for steak, the rest of it costs you twenty three, five pounds. So, you know, it's easily back. But people like the cheap there as well. You know, you can obviously have steak at home there, which I wonder if I should have another question to you. Hello, my name is Kyle. I farm here at Claylands where I run 800 yows and 40 suckler cows. My question for the panel is why are deadweight limits in place and what is driving the change to lower carcass weights? I think this one's for you as well. I thought that was that thing. <laughs> Anyway, um, people have a good budget to spend on food. As you mentioned, the butchers are quite busy. They want to underweight cattle, so they up to 550 kilos, probably it's same in the other trade as well. Rice Atmos trade, 35 years ago, possibly, it was 10 probably. And it was a, you know, a big steak these days, big animal, 340 kilos, it's a big animal. That was a career animal. Nowadays, that's not even average for most cattle. So, over the years, we've seen cattle get different breeds, better feeding systems, cattle get heavier, and uh, people need more money to get the cattle as well. That's part of the problem that uh, we've seen that, uh, you know, it's that the cattle getting this kind of 440, 450 kilos, and they're just, uh, you couldn't sell these big steaks, the big roast, you're taking 
big loss in these cattle could be selling it. Rest, I suppose the ideal tax rate is 323 kilos, and that's where you get the most money for it because it's within that spec range of selling meat and it's, it's a bit steak size. And Andrew, has it dead weight limits come in, coming in? Has that negatively impacted your business? Has that had a bigger effect? Yes, it has had an effect that we have to keep our eye on the, the ball and actually watch the, the size of animal. And I mean, the different breeds of animal are all different. So, I mean, just recently there we had a Charlie that I hung up. A big Charlie, I thought, would be way over 400 kilos. And I had two small, really good limousine bullocks. Not near as old, but real classy bullocks. And I thought they had gone under it. The big Charlie was well below 400 kilos. It was three no, of them, were 290. And the uh, two limousines was 423 kilos. I mean, the difference from that was causal. These two limousines were only half the size, I thought. But they would come out a lot better than one Charlie did. And it just gave me a uh, an eye opener that we have to be on top of the tree a lot more up on top of the, the cattle to make sure that they put them out at the right time. If I could just ask uh, George, I mean, the, these heavy stakes that you do get, can they get trimmed at all? Is that too costly for you to trim a bit off? The bigger joints here, you can't really trim them as a as a stake. You can trim the fat if you want. Can't be cut down to size, and uh, it's as I say, if you don't, if you feel what steak would be a couple of centimeters thick, somewhere over there, these steaks would be almost less half, half one centimeter to far too thin, and you just people want the kind of special steak. But that's the problem, it's just, just, just the sheer size of the big steaks. Most people, farmers, love a big steak, but when you sell it to the supermarket trade or the producer trade, whatever it may be, you know, it's got a price point. That is just people buy it. It's you know, within that range. You know, people go and um, they'll spend so much money spend on meat in general, food in general, and that's the price point. It's too, you buy two big steaks, it costs a pet point of that. So you can go to the back and you just cut through it. It's just that these, these particular cattle aren't talking about them. We did sell, I mean, there were two months of buying the adapters. And that was a big loss for us, obviously, and it won't hurt me, I hope. And uh, I was just wondering, have you taken any loss as well? The big stakes, well, the bigger sales person I won't mention, basically, but he also owns it. These big stakes cost, big diamonds cost £150, big roasts. That's what you say, £150. And he's right enough because he's a secret seller. It's probably almost half of the cheap for the second. It's a senior figure, so it's half the figures. From the livestock ring, can I ask a contentious question then? Um, penalty on the carcass size. And I can understand the carcass size in these animals, uh, why there is a limit to them. But through the livestock ring, you know, we can sell, or we have uh, people there to buy overweight cattle if you want at that point. And I think we've got to come back to the question of the supermarkets. 
and where the penalty on that actual carcass goes to and who benefits and who loses out of it. When it's the farmer that loses out of it, and I don't think the processor actually loses any of the, the value of that carcass, George, you can uh, bite back at me if you like with this one. Whereas through the ring we sell every kilo that is in that animal, although it's pence per kilo is different when it goes to the, the end user at that point. Supermarkets, it comes back to shelf size space and, and, and I can understand them wanting that nice size of pillar or similar steak to actually fit the tray to go into the supermarket shelf. But as I say, through the live ring, um, we can sell uh, any any size of animal here just with the price variation. So the farmer gets paid for every kilo of beef that he sells. We pay for every kilo as well, but it's just to make, just to be said, we better cut the most less money. So we're saying we've got a really slight scale, really big money coming in, because we have a full of money, okay, but the kilo is still coming into money, but not cut off a lesser rate, but we're still getting paid for the kilo. Yeah. So, the um, breed of cattle that we're changing, you know, we've got away from the, the big stretchy uh, limousine cross, um, where we're bringing <coughs> carcass sizes down to a nicer shape of Charlotte cross, limousine cross, and many different native breeds um, that, that we're producing quicker, which I, I think it's a learning process for both the farmer and the breeder uh, at that point. Now recognising and realising that if they produce an animal that, that's not going to go for size, it's all about sheep and size of the carcass. I mean, the dead weight limit is an interesting one because as a store seller, the lighter we sell them, the more money we get from basically. But you have to bear in mind going forward, the quicker those beasts are killed, because every, every argument we go into with Scottish government is about carbon and the footprint and the climate and all that. So bear in mind, if you put this thing lump on the bed till it's two and a half, three years old, you're not going to win the, the argument here. But if you can get them through the chain quicker, and that is the way it's going to go, without a doubt it is. So we need to move them on. And we've probably had a stay of execution as an industry that the Covid thing came in and they yeah. stopped talking well, about right, that, 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 that. And that's really the importance of all getting together and yeah. making sure that we're all producing what we're all just making what we're doing the market with. The point I'd like to make is you know, the boss has kind of talked about the change. And, uh, it's all Seventeen months away from October, and there's a spin bottom here before they push them on, they're 40 kilos away, 17 months old. You rate cattle in their inspect because they can't sell in the store market because time to sell there, and get some hands on them, whoever gets hands on them, they're going to be bored. So, so as I mentioned, we're pushing cattle that young, you know, just beside of it, it's got a government as well, you know, we've got to efficient way to do it as quickly. Um, could I ask for a, a question from the floor, please? What proportion of cattle slaughtered are deemed to be out of spec, and is this directly correlated to age at slaughter? I've caught the salesmen, they're all out of spec, but that's a first story. But uh, I think they're all in spec. So, uh, but generally, obviously, most of the cattle spring born, so two year olds, we come through that period of just through March, April, May, through now. So, these two year old cattle steers, especially the Andean bulls, 
that uh, so we've got to watch these kind of heavier new grade, new pluses. They're the ones that cause the problems, as mentioned earlier on. So, okay. The most efficient ones are growing quickest as well. It's about timing. Some of, the, some of the older cattle are probably the less efficient ones and poorly done, so they're probably generally lighter weights and they're poorer grades. So age is not really to do with that, I would say. Age is, no, no. If we don't get over age heavy cattle, we get over age young cattle. Eh, sorry, heavy weight cattle. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, some good discussion there. Um, could I ask for another question? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll probably stay much, stay much the same. Still, I don't like about three kilos, but probably that's probably unachievable at the moment. There was no kind of money to cattle. So, uh, as long as people have them, we've got a balance of cattle. We don't want all heavy cattle. We usually heavy cattle to spend the year, which has just come through. Daughter is not a problem because the cattle are generally younger, or the way some old age cattle have not done so well, so generally like heavy cattle come through maybe through March, April, May, until now probably. So it's a, it's a weights, the weights are we need a mix of cattle, as long as they're not too many big ones, but generally time of year you get more heavy ones spending, that's the biggest problem. And I think just in case that with the with the trades kind of falter a bit the, the screw the weight the game weight down and down and down and then when it gets scarce there's a certain process of deciding well let's not do the dead weight limit we'll just jack up again so it's becomes a bit of a problem then you know what, what are we supposed to do we did change we no, stopped we did we stuck to our guns and uh, we've got uh, hopefully got an idea of what we're doing stick to that and just keep going you know be consistent is the most important thing the job change. Uh, you the wrong choice. Send the wrong message. We stayed. We stayed with our grids. Changed the big price. I had to stick to that. Stick to we had. We kept that we needed to buy. I think um, you know. Going back to continuity again, and um, yeah, I would say the biggest flight that we take out of the country. You'll do the same, George. Going round about as um, you know. The farmer not knowing whether it's a 400 kilo carcass or a 420 kilo, where the, the bar is, if it moves, like what you said, Jimmy, it's very difficult for us to convince the farmer that we're doing the best for them at that point. So it's about the continuity of feeding right back down the scale and giving that farmer the confidence that, uh, like what Andrew said earlier, about not having that animal that has been over the dead weight carcass limit. So it is a real big bone of contention. Um, you know, just knowing exactly where we are, and when the bar is changed, it changes There's so much out in the country for everybody else. And it's letting that person know, the farmer, the producer, the breeder, and exactly uh, what size of carcass they're going to be producing to fill it and finish off. I would imagine most farmers finish us half weight weeks nowadays because, I mean, it can vary greatly. I mean, you feel these out of the way, I mean, you can be quite surprised if you're saying, Andrew, you get even the charlotte and your limits and differences. I mean, any farmer could be back in that scenario. Depends on detail because people buy so cattle, different, different farms, and they all kill differently. So people do their homework on previous year's cattle, the last one cattle, they will know where people have killed for them when they do dry stuff. And that's a major factor, I would say, just how the cattle survive as well. 
Now when we're speaking how he's killing something, we've got to be a home of custom, he's got the best killing cast in the league, he'll just have a two slow finish. So it's about getting you know what it's fine right in his hand and the rear face. There's another thing that Johnny's mentioned that we'll just mention. Um, you know, most farmers we've got very good as farmers at uh, reducing uh, the type of stores that we've got. We weigh them when they leave home and that weight when they go into the market, that weed uh, when they go dead weight, there's three different sets of weights and then um, we're always questioned about these scales are right. And you say there's no variation? No, there's no variation, but there is, um, you know, who's, there's no there every time that animal moves itself, um, it weighs slightly lighter. Um, so the farmer's very good at uh, being able to take that weight, but should not take it as that's the weight that it uh, finishes up on. I'm going to you complain the weight you're having. <laughs> Not on way. It, it's a great tool that we have, and uh, the government has put uh, grant systems in there for us to be able to put cattle handling facilities in, etc. On the farm, and it's a, a great way of working for the farm, especially the young farmer. I mean, uh, there's, there's grant systems there that uh, encourages the young farmer now. But sadly, I think everybody around the table here is too old to get, but it, it's a great uh, way of monitoring your own catalyst to be able to have that facility of weighing the one farm. Um, Moving on to the, the market end of things, um, I wonder if I should have another question. My name's Stuart Jimison. We farm 500 acres in Aberdeenshire, calving 70 suckler cows and lambing 400 ewes. My question for the panel is, do you think there's too much variation in the Scottish beef industry? So, Jimmy, you touched on this earlier on, that there's a lot of variation, there's a lot of uh, differences out there. Do uh, you want to expand on that? It intrigues me a bit, the variation, because we have a myriad of breeds, which basically have a tremendous amount of breeds. And as somebody mentioned earlier on, about going abroad, and you, you would get a steak in a restaurant, as I would if I was abroad, and it'll always be good. And yet, if you look around the cattle enterprises, they place plain looking articles. So we maybe have too much emphasis here on fancy breeds and I don't honestly think it's giving us any much flavour and I really I'm not sure where to go with that and I really I think there are far too many breeds. How how we ever narrow that down I don't know. We are at home moving back towards native cattle just for ease of management and that is really playing it. So, as to how we could get somebody else to do that, I'm not sure. Andrew, is variation an issue for the Scottish beef sector? The lion, I'm buying cattle, but it's the market that I'm supplying at the end of the day. And we also, we, we don't just hang up cattle, we sell it in the wheat in the live market. And if I change a plain breed of cattle into the market, the butchers wouldn't even look at it. So I'm looking for a, a, a it's usually a continental beast for the butchers. That's what they are looking for. I mean, I, I do work with, with uh, the occasional uh, Aberdeen Angus and that, but they're never good enough. You get an odd one that would be good enough to take to the live market, they're never good enough for the butcher. So I'm looking for something that I'm going to 
be able to take through and get to my buyer at the end of the day, which probably, if I've ever reflected, I need to breed for any other breed, whether it be a Holstein or whatever. I mean, some of the best steaks are great, but we don't see But I, I don't think it's just down to the breed or to cattle either. It's how it's actually hung, and you'll probably can tell us that more, but it's how it's actually processed at the end of the day, how long it hangs for and such like, how it's actually cooked, how it's cut. I mean, you can cut it the wrong way, you can cut beef the wrong way. The housewife doesn't know that. So, so there is a lot of education that way as well. I'm trying to get something from here, but I buy cattle for the people that I am selling to. You, you cut it close to suit um, Mungo, if you want to see variation, I think there's probably no better place to go than to go to the stores you know, and see all different and sizes. Is that a positive for the Scottish sector or is that a problem? I think it's a positive for the Scottish sector. Um, and, and it's all to do with the farming practices within Scotland. I mean, we've got such a variation within, from the dairy industry to the specialist beef producer to the beef producer that has carried on for generations and hasn't really changed anything. I don't think we're going to see any change in the variation of breeds within it. Is it a positive for the market? Yes, we, we cover everything um, that way and there's buyers there for every animal that's in the market that day. Um, as Andrew says, he's there to buy the, the real beef breeds because he's producing that to go to the end user. But somebody else is buying the, the dairy cross beef breeds to go to another end user or to go dead weight. So it's the variation in Scottish agriculture that causes that. And yes, I think it's here uh, for the future and it's a healthy way of working. Good. Um, George, does the variation in the sector, so different breeds in the finishing system, does that cause a problem with your end? Not too much. Not too much. Um, schools nowadays have got so we get better factions in our groups, you know, finishing men are professional nowadays, and we've got, you know, we've got all, all the technology and, you know, uh, advice from SEC, keep right, hopefully, and uh, so you produce a good finished article, which, you know, there's no consistency coming through our end. We don't have so many dairy cattle coming through our factory, we get the grass powders, and there's really many, you know, there's not many black whites nowadays. The ones do come through, generally better ones anyway, and you may not be feeding them because they've got a better job than usually. So it's we're not too bad that way, it's, it's just we're uh, but there is a huge variation in the breeds, we know that there's probably more there's more angus around in the last five years, the number of ends went up. People have heard again and there's probably a shift as in slightly like the cats that way. But the variation is it's you're not we find we've got consistent cars to come through that I would agree with what you're saying, and I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that, George. It's, you know, the dedicated finishers now are real professionals, and I think that's something that we've always got to mention within the industry and push that forward. And, you know, these guys are well driven and real professionals at the job we've got to do now. Um, can I ask for a, a question from the floor, please? With the use of sex semen, is the dairy industry better place to produce a consistent product? Jobs. 
there is obviously the right there is that product there available and I've done a little batch as well so there's there is certain more
other projects. So there is a, an avenue we can go there too as well. And you can save the levy debate for another day. Yes, it is, and it's going to be one of the biggest distortions that we come across by doing that. And I'm pleased to hear Jimmy saying about the, the male dairy card because it is one of the biggest points of contention uh, that we take out the, the system. Um, so it eliminates it right away. Uh, there's a massive need for all these dairy heifers that are there and still needed at the moment. We cannot get enough dairy heifers for uh, the dairy producer at the moment. Uh, distortion in the marketplace as far as the beef industry is concerned, I don't think it's uh, really going to uh, be a big threat to the, the real beef producer because that article of animal is still so needy to go right through the system and into the end product. So the, the real sales that we have in the, the back end of the year, where it's certain calf sales, we don't get any dairy crossbred cattle through them and we keep them as special sales. It's different buyers that actually come to these sales to pay them. And again, it's your dedicated finisher that's there to buy these type of animals uh, rather than the dairy crossbred them. George, you saw the elf in the room, was it here? Yeah, the elf in the room is lack of profitability. At the end of the day, every industry is going to make money. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Excellent. Um, could I ask for another question, please? As it stands, commission is flatly presented on the sale value. Would it be beneficial to the industry if in spec cattle paid less commission than the outliers? Okay, well, we're going to take the question at a completely different angle then. Um, basically, everybody's got to make money, as George said earlier, within the industry. And it doesn't matter whether the animal's in spec or out spec, um, because we, we have our own buyers, every market will be the same. You've got to remember that as a marketplace, if uh, you come to sell your cattle there, you know you've sold your cattle, you are. 100% certain that you are going to be paid for your cattle, which doesn't always happen on a farm-to-farm -farm basis. So that's the confidence that we get out of the marketing place. Again, if we take it a little bit further um, and we look at what happened to the dairy industry years ago um, when the contracts all come in, again, it was mentioned earlier about contracts. We need the marketing place there to be able to set that price to get your top price and the lower spec cattle a lower price. That is the value of these animals on that day or that week. So changing commission is not going to do that. The market's got to be there to be able to give the farmer that reliability that he gets paid and he's made the most money uh, that week. That commission that we take, the commission varies between different markets but um, the commission that we take is not as strong as uh, some markets I'm going to add, but it gives that the, the farmer the reliability the that um, he has um, the confidence to come there and be paid uh, and he's got an outlet for his animals. It's a business, we've got to survive out of that. And many markets are probably not making any more profit percentage-wise than what farming enterprises are making just now. And it's a huge business that's there for the use of the farming community to be able to uh, use and utilise that way. Um, 
for such a long uh, profit at the end of the day. Unless you incentivize something, it'll not really change all that much. So maybe, maybe there is a, an avenue to go. I mean, I know markets need this permission, but there's surely something you can do to, if you were bringing in top spring tackle, I think you should do a lot of that. I don't think it's tricky, I'm not playing, I'm not trying to. <laughs> um, well, I, I'll tell you, the, the thing that we're really up against is um, do we set a, a, a lower commission level to up the numbers that's the throughput through the farmer? And if you take, if we discount the, the, the speck of animal at the moment, because an animal's an animal right now, whether it's a cast cow, whether it's a stork, beast, whether it's just you or a lamb that's going through the market, it doesn't really matter. Um, We've still got to encourage that seller to come through the market and use the market. It's the only way of pulling all these people that are wanting to buy and purchase cattle or sheep there in the one place. I think the thing at this stage as well we should do is acknowledge the good work that the markets did as well during the, the start of the coronavirus issue. That we actually had no major, like a, a few breakdowns at the very start, but a normal service, a relatively normal service was resumed. Very promptly, so I think that's been I for the much more career. And that's led to the Scottish livestock industry actually being one of the best industries to be around. Yep. So moving on to the, the finish of the, the breeder aspect, how do we, how do we ensure a spread of capital ground? Ideally, let's see almost third of cows on the cabin, as we don't have the flexibility financially. Many years ago, somebody talked about rules and that, and uh, you know, what the steady supply of cattle is, you know, going, you know, all the time. Strike like you've got two year old cattle coming inside the spring bodies, and you've got a big peak, which is obviously the best place for them. You've got them quite soon again, but at the far back, for the level supply, you lose it, and the less of the cattle will be developed. And Andrew, do you find, can you supply a, a level profile of cattle? Can you supply cattle? I must admit, it doesn't affect me at all this night. I mean, we can buy 24 7 all throughout the year. Apart from perhaps July and August, and then we usually a big selection. Mr. Chairman, as, as a finisher, Andrew, can you buy cattle and can you feed them and deflame that beast peaks? You know, can you let it let it take over? Because I would understand if you do that, the kind of shoot. You upset the, the beef, the end product, because you get the missile, you get it. We actually bought cattle and actually kept them off meat for a certain period of time and then decided to finish them. But I mean, no, it wouldn't work anymore. No. I mean, the quicker we can turn them all over, the better. Mm, I mean, we were talking about wages and that. I mean, I sold two cars, three quarters last week at 13 months. So, it's, you know, 570 kilos. So, I mean, it's 
it's probably it's probably this labeling that site say like a service thing. You all have the the car or producer who doesn't feed as well as some producers. So it will maybe a low level of say like a coach, but it does help and we we have we do for us to buy at least a no food from a looking at the kind of old fashioned store system where the animal posted along with a low lively gain, that from a climate point of view is a disaster. Yeah. At that point yeah. it's even higher roughing higher higher a higher fibre content in this diet producing more methane than a parasite animal. So actually if we're really wanting to deal with this methane issue, we need to push them, keep them well, push them bad. And even from a store and planting animal from yes. rough, keep them moving. I mean, all the still can't we buy it out. It's not one of those to get out. I mean, I look to buy at least 400 kilos plus, and none of them will go to grass. None of them. I mean, I'm looking to not keep any beasts for any longer than six months. And we need to watch what. The argument against the American feedlot system is that we're all grass fed. There's a quite a lot of intensively finished cattle out there, and that's actually the efficient thing. Like, so, anyway, sorry, sorry. We've got such a problem nowadays because people have been feeding cattle used to be. If you go through cattle to a store, they are always ill, they lose lacquers, they bristle down the muscles. It's there forever. You never change that. So, so when it does finish again, People buy steak and cut steak by whistle. There's a few that's less that than used to be because people are better to do what they're doing. Animal health is better to do it. Is there a reason that you're going to get some price to do that? And what are the reasons that you're going to get? So I think we go speak to Noble with this one. Is there a hope for producer groups or Share ownership in contract finishing things like that in, in the supply chain. Okay, and um, I think you've got to split it into two then. Um, the second uh, part of the animal's life, then, yes, I can see the, the shared ownership within that. Um, the first part of the, the contract, no, I do not see that working because there's so many variations in the way that the farmers operate at that point. And they don't want to be tied into any type of contract at that particular time. Um, so, you know, what, what would the contract consist of? Would it be the amount of cattle that they're actually uh, putting forward to the next person? Uh, so they need continuity at that point. I think we still have a massive amount of traditional type farmers that produce cattle and they want to be able to own them. Um, without them in any paper contract or tie up with any deals at that early stage of their life. As I say, the next stage of their life, yes, I can see the benefits within a contract at that point. Um, I can't see it benefiting the market in any way. Uh, it would possibly distort what we are doing price wise at that point and take a lot of cattle out of the market because they would move. From point A to point B, or farm A to farm B, without actually accessing the market, which then we would not part of. And have you thoughts on that with the role of shareholders at the cattle or the impact of shareholders at the cattle? 
That is, that's the best, that's the best time for sure. Well, best place to achieve are in that series. Um, could I ask for another question, please? Would you be willing to have a discussion with the feeders about kind of stores that you acquire? How important is the interior and would the furniture then belong to share the data back down with the data? Yeah, so we'll start with Jimmy. You, would you be willing to have a discussion with your, uh, oh no, we're wrong around. Right? <laughs> we'll start with Andrew. <laughs> uh, would you be willing to have an open discussion with uh, the breeder, or do you indeed do you have a no, open discussion? Have an open discussion on the breeder, but yes, I with uh, all aspects of the, <clears throat> uh, the situation, but I don't know if that would actually be a benefit. I mean, as I said to start off with, we're all needing to get together for a discussion, not just me yeah. to Jimmy. Yeah, what you're what you're what you're alluding to there is really. Some night we need to sit around the table with a coffee or a gram and cards on the table. Right. I've got this beast that that money, and here's what I'm left with after I've said it. And then, then we can maybe go forward. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, share, and subscribe. For more information on the beef supply chain, there's now a lot of material on the Farm Advisory Service website. And if you want to discuss the issue in more detail, please contact the Farm Advisory Service helpline. Thanks again for listening.